This podcast is a production of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. We have worship every Sunday at 10.15 a.m., Bible study before that at 9 a.m. I'm Pastor Golden. Join us on Sunday, won't you? And have a blessed, blessed day. Lord God, Father in heaven, we give you great thanks for your Son who forgives us all of our sins. Let your Holy Spirit rest upon our souls today so that we may learn what this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, that we may learn what is this unforgivable sin that Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We thank you for uh, gathering us together here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I, like, like I mentioned in prayer here, we're going to go through. This is kind of this conclusion to the section we already did in Matthew 12. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, we finished on verse 16. But, and then we have the longest quote of Matthew, um, the longest quote of Old Scripture in Matthew. And it actually also serves as an introduction. So what is this unforgivable sin? What is this blasphemy at the Holy Spirit? Um, I found some really nice surprises in here in the past couple of days, and I'm actually quite excited to share them because uh, it puts a lot of uh, worries to rest because uh, no one wants to commit the unforgivable sin, right? Then what? There's no going back. That's what what some of the mantra is, but... uh, It's very interesting. We'll take a look at that today, and I want to make sure we spend more time on that section for sure. But as we know, opposition is increasing, um, increasing to the point where now we've got to destroy him. We've got to take his life, take away his teaching. He's not being a good rabbi, according to the Pharisees, and Jesus was aware of this and withdrew from there. Very simple. Many followed him. Many followed a certain amount of number, and the the certain amount of number that followed him, all of them were healed. And of course, he ordered them not to make him known, and we talked about that, that secret a little bit. And then, of course, Matthew has this quote in there. Well, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Somebody would like to go ahead and read verses 17 through 21. This fulfills what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I take great delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or distinguish a smoldering wood until he brings justice to victory. And his name, the Gentiles, will hope. All right, thank you. So this Isaiah, I think it's 42. Yeah, Isaiah chapter 42. Um, now, a Jew, a Jew today, would say something different. What would they say about the servant? Who's the servant? A non-Christian Jew. Well, who would they say? They would say that this servant is the entire nation of Israel. 
Remember, Jew, Jewish religion is very works-based, following the law, doing things according to the law. So who is that who serves other than the Jews, other than the priests, other than the temples? Um, that's, how it, that's how a Jew would take this to me. Behold, my nation Israel, who by, whom I have chosen. But this is actually not, can't be true because it would actually take all of the previous chapter of Isaiah out of context. Isaiah chapter 41 basically talks about all idols are a delusion and your work is nothing. That's Isaiah 41 in one sentence. Um, then out of nowhere, it seems, in Isaiah, this servant is noted. And this is, the, this is the question that arises. Well, what exactly, what, what exactly is going on here? Well, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. We know the servant is Jesus. But uh, why he's saying 17 goes back a little bit. I won't, I won't go all the way back to it. This is what to fulfill. This is the proclamation of justice being done. He will proclaim justice to the Gentile. This is putting things right. The servant will put things right. It certainly couldn't be non-Christian Jews today or even then. And how does Jesus proclaim justice to us who believe? And... Uh, Fast-forwarding, uh, actually going back, I'm sorry, I got the wrong verses noted here. He heals all. He heals all, as we talked about in verse 15. And how does he heal all? Casting out demons. Casting out, casting them out, casting out Beazable, uh, casting out Satan, defeating Satan is how he does it. This is how he proclaims justice to the Gentiles. The Spirit is certainly upon him. That was actually visually shown to us in the baptism of Jesus. Well, in this healing, um, he, will he will proclaim to Gentiles, and some of you might have in your Bibles nations, nations, I like nations, Gentile sounds like everybody but the Jews. And that's probably the point that might be, might be made here. Um, in, the, in Isaiah, it can be nations or even ethnicities. Ethnicities. The actual Greek word is ethne, uh, which where we get our word ethnicity. Ethnicities. Tongue tied. Scripture tells us that these are people, not just souls. These are embodied, whole people. And this will become important. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. But a bruised reed he will not break. We've talked about bruised reeds before. What's a reed? It's a weed. In a swamp, swampy, watery weed. It's also hollow. It's also hollow. Um, 
First, a reed is hollow. If a reed is bruised, it would be even more easily broken. Um, you know, what is a when you got a bad bruise, I know when we were kids, we used to give each other Charlie horses. Get big bruises on the leg. Boy, if you touch that bruise, you know, bumping it's painful. But speaking spiritually, what if your spirit is bruised? He will not break it. Um, until the cross, it will be then broken and resurrected, dying with Christ and rising with Christ. You know, there's smoldering wick. What's a smoldering wick? How's that spiritually? If your faith is weak, if you're just running on empty, running on empty. I felt a little of that after, after the, the Advent weeks, you know, services twice a week. Every time I turned around, oh, we have a service tonight. Oh, we have a, you know. And, and Lent will be a little bit like that too. Oil lamp running on empty. The misery of sin before baptism, before this bringing justice to victory, it's hard to imagine. Um, it's even harder to admit. It's, it's, it's very hard for some people to admit that they are a, a bruised reed, or if they're a smoldering wick. They must die and rise to newness of life. And the only way that justice can be done, all the wrongs of self and all the wrongs of being sinned against, is by bringing justice to victory. Again, in his name, the nations will hope. All of the ethnicities will hope. Now, Christ is, of course, still in the world today, bringing forth justice, putting things right, proclaiming through his word. Forgiving of, the forgiveness of sins is just the balancing of scales. I won't go too far into that. I talked a little bit about it last time. Um, so also, as we in Christ are to balance scales with others. We certainly are at the center core of Jesus' sermon and earlier in Matthew. It's all about reconciliation, not only to, to God, but reconciliation with each other. Uh, that, that was the main message. So we are to reconcile with neighbor. Uh, love thy neighbor. To not purposefully throw off the balance of the scales. Um, our justice scale, no matter what, is though is going to get unbalanced. What is the solution that we're told to do? Repent. 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 And we're told of, the just, uh, of how Jesus brings justice to victory. And we're constantly, our whole life, our scales back and forth. Sinner, saint, sin, forgiven, sin, forgiven, sinner, saint. Um, on one side is sin on that scale. What actual material object brings justice? What's the material object of victory? The blood. The blood, uh, not purchased with silver or gold, says our catechism, but with his holy, precious blood. To put a mon and it talks about blood very monetarily throughout the Gospels. Um, 
But it seems like a strange way. He'll not quarrel and not cry aloud. He's going to go about it quietly. He's going to go about it humbly. Humbly loving. But it seems like a strange way for God to work in the world today. At times it seems like it goes poorly. Because it, and why is that? Well, we would expect somebody who's going to bring justice to victory to come riding into, let's say, Jerusalem on a big horse of war with a sword above his head. How does he ride into Jerusalem? On a donkey, a donkey's kid, with a bunch of coats, palm branches, wel welcoming as a king. So the servant, Jesus, he's resisted. Um, the servant Jesus is sent and resisted, and so also the servants of Jesus are resisted. This kind of ministry continues to be described in the remaining of chapter 12. The controversies will continue of who is this man? Who is this man who thinks that he has such authority? Now we have this little side teaching. And it, of course, it's controversial. Uh, after studying it this week, I no longer find it controversial. I see it as, wow, why didn't I see that? Simple, clear, you know, all this worries, oh, we don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And it really comes down to one verse I'll fast forward to real quick, and then we'll read the whole thing. Um, the last verse. Whoever speaks a word against Jesus will be forgiven. Whoever speaks against God the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What? <laughs> so if I say, no, Jesus... I don't need you. I'll be forgiven for that. But if I say, no, Holy Spirit, I don't need you, I won't be forgiven for that. What does that mean? And it's not, it's not what is commonly thought about this. Ask anybody who's been to church a few times, or ask anybody who grew up in church, what's the unforgivable sin? Oh, it's sinning against the Holy Spirit. Okay, we need to define that. We need to define what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And it's so simple. It's, it's pretty neat. So let's start out by reading. Let's read it as a whole. Do we want to read through the... Yeah. Okay, so take a look at the section after this. We won't read it in all, but the, the section after this, beginning in verse 33, is a tree is known by its fruit. This is the same conversation. This is the same teaching. I don't know if we'll get to this far of it through today, but this is still the same teaching. Um, we just like to put our little separations in there, but that's not what's in those, those paragraph headings are not in Holy Scripture. That's not what they wrote. They just wrote continually. No chapters, no verses. 
So let's back up and let's, uh, why don't we read, whoever would like to read verse 22 to 32. Thank you. Uh, beginning with these first, now, and, that, and this actually continues through the next section, but I think this is, uh, this, is a, this is certainly enough for now. First of all, all the way through, what was it, verse 37, even further than what was read, is based on this, because the same language is used over and over. What happens in verse 22? What's a one-word description of it? Demon-oppressed man brought to Jesus? It's an exorcism. Right? Not really, it's an exorcism. A demon-oppressed man, blind and mute, healed them so the man spoke and saw. It doesn't say much about how, but in the most simplest terms, there was an exorcism. Doesn't say if he, you know, a lot of times we're told, is it by touch? Is it by words? What leads to what? Is it the faith? No. A man was brought, healed, and the man was healed. Very simply. Then we have these two reactions. And here's, what, here's the words that... Uh, I want you to concentrate on. The people were amazed and said. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said. Because, and this is, and this is what connects it, I'll go all the way down to uh, a tree is known by its fruit. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All This is all the same. This is all part of the same uh, connections here. Now I lost my place. Where's the said? Right there. Um, in verse 23, words reveal. Words reveal. Words reveal faith. 
certainly. Words come from the heart. This is, this is what this section will close out with. The words reveal that these people, this crowd, they were amazed. And remember, amazement does not equal faith. Amazement is like, wow, what a magician trick. I wonder how he did it. That's amazing. Um, the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? And then, of course, in verse 24, the Pharisees have words that reveal their evaluation of the exorcism. Do they deny that he did an exorcism? No. This man casts out demons. He did it. They do not deny casting out demons, but they attribute it to the power of Satan, the prince of demons. Um, and then going on from there, we will see I probably need to erase it. The words of Jesus that refute. They refute first the Pharisees' accusation. And we read through that. And then in the second part, starting in 31, he actually reaches back to both crowds. Now he's talking to everybody, and we'll talk about how we know that. When someone denies, when someone denies that Jesus' ministry is empowered by the Holy Spirit, it reveals the condition of the inner person, the inner heart. And these words have consequences on the last day for an acquittal of uh, acquittal and life or condemnation and death. So, but there's more to that. Verse 22 through 30, Jesus ministers with power, but how does he do it? This reaction, because this sounds like they didn't doubt that much. Can this be the son of David? Aha, he's finally here. That's not what's meant here. What's missing, and this is made into English for us to be easier, what's missing is the word not. And the word not is in the Greek. Why it's not in English translations, I don't know. This one isn't the son of David, is he? That's actually what the original language says. Same idea, but does not lead you to believe that maybe these people thought that he was the son of David. This one is, and that's how it said, this one isn't the son of David, is he? And it actually has a question mark. There's actually a question mark in Greek. It's the semicolon. Um, and verse 24, of course, we have the outright rejection. He's not casting out demons. Um, unless it's with Beazable. Unless it's with. It can only be by Beazable. 
the high ruler of demons. So, of course, they're not denying spiritual power either, but attribute it to Satan. This is important to remember as we get to that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Um, now, Jesus begins, let me go up to verse 25. Jesus begins, it sounds like a proverb. Certainly sounds like wisdom. If you read through Proverbs before, I, many of us have, every verse is kind of like a, a wisdom quote in itself. Every kingdom divided against itself laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And that's a proverb that I've heard stand on its own before, too. Um, not only that, not only is this kind of self-evident, it's kind of like a, it's a self-evident truth, a house divided cannot stand. But this is also wisdom of the times. This is also Jewish wisdom of the time. This is also Roman and Greek wisdom at the time. In ancient society, this would be as common as our most common saying in America today. Um, band together or be defeated. In war, um, in fact, this was quoted. Does anybody know who quoted this in America? Who's the famous, the famous speech? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln in his acceptance to the Republican nomination in 1858. See, I'm learning some history. Only by force. <laughs> so this was, uh, I think it was the onset of the Civil War. That was the beginning of the Civil War, 50, 1858 through 62, 63. And then, of course, all right, so he states the obvious. This is self-evident. You guys know this. So why, then, would Satan cast out Satan? It wouldn't make sense if Jesus was on Team Satan. It wouldn't make sense for Jesus to cast out Satan. So he, he's using their argument against them. If you, say I'm, if you say I'm on Satan's team, why would Satan cast out Satan? His kingdom would just could not stand. It's irrefutable logic. It's common sense. Um, this would be like, uh, I used to play, play and coach football. This would be like me on the offensive line. I'll center a couple times. If I were to hike the ball, turn around, and tackle my quarterback. That team's certainly not going to win. That team is certainly not going to stand. Um, common sense. And then, of course, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? What does this mean? What, what, this is a big question here. What's, what's their sons? What are the sons of the Pharisees? Well, what about the exorcism you guys are doing? There's exorcisms going on at the time. We don't know. We don't know very much. We don't know anything really about it outside of the work of Jesus. And if, the exorc if these exorcisms of the non-believing Jewish nation are not tied to Beelzebub, then, dear Pharisees, 
Let them be your judges. Let your sons be your judges. So we have, we, and we have to look at, well, what is, what is your sons? What are these other exorcisms going on? Could they be other Jewish exorcists? Well, here's what we know about God. That God has always preserved for himself throughout all of scriptural history, Old Testament and New, he's always pres- preserved for himself a remnant, a remnant of righteous believers, even though a whole town or two may fall under the flames of fire. There's always somebody who gets up. Even though he may flood the whole world, a family of eight gets up. He always preserves for himself righteous those who believe. In New Testament, Mary and Joseph, righteous Jewish believers. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, righteous believers. So although we have no specific knowledge if there were Jewish exorcists, um, it's reasonable to think that faithful Israelites, faithful believers, cast out demons by the power and the name of God. By the power and the name of God. All right, that's one possibility. Maybe your sons are just other Pharisees. Maybe just the priests. Maybe not just common people. Maybe just the priests. Well, not quite. Because your sons, your sons, in the context of Jewish culture at the time, is a euphemism for your community. Um, let's say, so your sons can also mean any members of the, of the community. It could be even the church community. Let's say you guys are Pharisees. And let's say, well, and of course, this is your church. And I refer to your sons and daughters. That could mean the whole community. And that's what especially it meant then. Community relations, you only have to look back 50 to 70 years ago, and look at the community relations being more involved then than it is now, especially in a church. When you had a social function in your small town, where was it? At the church. When you had a town meeting, it was at the church. And a, a summer picnic, not the church picnic, just a summer picnic. Let's have it at the church. Even more so, community, and this is also at a time, as of most of history was, when religion and government were one and the same. Government ran the church, the church ran the government. It wasn't really, there wasn't really a, a, a clear divide until the idea of America. Um, so, can't be just Pharisees that your sons are... It could also refer, maybe it's to uh, the disciples that Jesus shared authority with to cast out demons. Jesus shared authority, go, go out and heal and, and cast out demons in my name. And these sons used to be part of the, obviously they were righteous believers. They were uh, part of the Jewish, Jewish non-Christian nation previously. So different possibilities than what your sons are. Do we know exactly 
No, but we'll see that that's not the point. That's not the point. I'm going to go up to verse 28. This is a conditional sentence. And there's a lot of... Uh, pay attention to these when you run across them in Scripture. I think it's part of math, too, isn't it? Conditional sentences. If and then. Um, actually, you know, it's part of spreadsheets on computers. That's what it is. So it's a conditional sentence. If this, then that. If I run a mile, I, then I will be really tired. Uh, very simple. But the emphasis here that we don't see is this. In the original Greek language, the word I is unnecessary because the verb implies it. It's an inflected language. So I run is just run in the first person singular. But here is different. The first word here is that unnecessary word. When an unnecessary word shows up, it's extremely emphasized. But I, if, so the word order is different, so it's kind of messy. But I, if it is by the Spirit, cast out demons. Or, but if I, then the kingdom of God has come upon me. So why this emphasis of the I first? Well, I am, Jesus says, the kingdom of God. I am the kingdom of God. So, the confrontation's starting to build a little bit. He casts out demons. He responds to the accusation of being on Team Satan. He says, no, I, I am the kingdom of God. Um, the action of by the Spirit of God. The actions of forgiving, the actions of healing and restoring, and the actions of exorcism, and the actions of calling people to faith. They're all miracles. That is the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And that includes all of those above things I just listed. What is exorcism today? What's a Lutheran exorcism? Baptism. Baptism. Say, I get to do one in March. To, I'm doing another one after that, too. So. That is an actual... What is an exorcism? It's the, the old Adam is drowned and, drowned and killed. Um, then we have a quick shift. A quick shift in metaphors, because he's gone from making this comparison about a house divided. Now he's talking about a strong man. How can someone enter a strong man's house? Unless he first binds the strong man. Well, what kind of man does it take to bind a strong man? A stronger man. Exactly. It takes a stronger man. Um, in order to bind, it has to, the man has to be stronger. And then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Now, this sounds like uh, breaking and entering, right? 
Sounds like going in. But what does Jesus do? As binds a strong man in exorcism, how does he plunder Satan's house? He steals back what was stolen from him. He wins you back. He, he buys you back. That's the plunder. Um, then indeed he may plunder his house. And very simply put, there is no middle ground with Jesus Christ. There is no maybe. Whoever is not with me is against me. You can't be a referee at the football game. You're either on one team or the other. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Again, a very common sense, common sense stuff. Um, if you think about it with war, because it's talking about justice and victory and how, and how these guys might have fought, uh, there's no demilitarized zone. What was the Korean de demilitarized zone? It was like a mile and a half or three miles of the 38th parallel? Zone? I think it's Yeah, I remember too, like uh, playing kickball or dodgeball or baseball or wiffle ball or football growing up, just yard. Of course, it'd be two captains. And everybody picks, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. Then you have these, you have these two teams. They, the captains would pick one or the other. You simply couldn't play the game if you weren't on a team. But in Jesus, God is gathering all people for salvation and for service. Both huge, um, huge themes coming up in the next chapter and later on in 20, 21 and 22. So, God's, kinda, God's the team captain, who, being the stronger man, gets to pick every time. I want you, 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 right down the line. It's only when you say, no, no, Jesus, I'd rather be on the other team. Okay. Um, for various reasons. That's what puts you on the other team. Satan doesn't get rejects. Christ came for tax collectors and sinners. Satan gets those who rejected Christ. You know, there's another saying that goes with rejects and Satan. I can't remember the name. Um, the next section, starting at verse 31. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, except for this one thing, or so we, or, or so we see. Because of everything we've gone through, Because I am the kingdom of God, because I am the stronger man, because everybody needs to be with me, because of all that, I tell you, as part of the kingdom of God and as justice to, victor, justice to victory, 
Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Um, Jesus is responding Blasphemy is speech. Blasphemy is words. Blasphemy is the response to the exorcism. Now that, that doesn't mean, now blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, we'll, we'll make that much more clear. And I completely lost my spot. Blasphemy, blasphemy. There it is. In verse 22, we had the very bare facts of an exorcism. In verse 23, the crowds were uncertain. And then in verse 24, in the next verse, the Pharisees' rejection and opposition, all words that they said. Jesus now is teaching us about all of our speaking. He's addressing, he's addressing the whole. Because our words, as we'll see, our words are spoken from the heart. The fruit from the tree. Um, so what is this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? So I want to go over misconceptions first. Misconceptions. Uh, well, first of all, some, some religions, not just Catholic, but some others, will use this as, uh, this is their proof for purgatory, or proof for being that in-between, proof for people that end up not on either team. That's what purgatory is, kind of like a holding area, kind of like the lobby at the doctor's office when the doctor's two hours behind, or like my wife last week when the doctor completely forgot that my wife was even there. <laughs> He's young. He's a new guy. He thought his student was there. But what is this blasphemy against the Spirit? Well, here, here's, the mis here's the misconceptions and here's, here's the mistakes first. First, if someone has a specific motivation or even just like an inner heartfelt disposition against the Holy Spirit and they openly oppose it, I believe that the Spirit exists, but I hate it and want nothing to do with it. That's a misconception. That is not what is going on here. Or, here's what we see even more often, or willfully blind. Yeah, I know, church is probably great. Yeah, I know, grandma and grandpa are probably in heaven. Yeah, I know, but eh, I'm busy. Got my car to wax. Got my vacation to go on. I'm going for a car wash after this, that's why I mentioned that. But nowhere in Matthew do the Pharisees, are the Pharisees represented with any sort of specific sort of unbelief. That's contrary to everything that's been going on. Uh, it's nothing that, uh, that the Pharisees have any sort of specific sort of unbelief. Um, you, can you can find this when we have a, 
a Sunday text and you hear a sermon that has Pharisees in it. How often are we all compared to Pharisees? Quite often. Quite often. So this isn't specifically, it's not specifically Pharisees and it's not specific sin. There's nothing in Matthew that gives us a reason to think that specific blasphemy occurs when a specific type of unbelief in the Spirit takes place. Nothing that, nothing that leads us to that. Number two, the other misconception of, of this blasphemy against the Spirit is that maybe these are people who were Christians. Since Christians have the Holy Spirit. People that fell away from the faith. This finds no support in the entire Bible. This finds no support in the entire Bible. We call, there's a fancy word called apostasize. People that don't come to church anymore and try to call them. and They've willfully left the church on their own behalf for a multitude of different reasons. That would be like saying there's no hope. Not going to be forgiven anyway. I had this on my mind when I was converted to be a Christian. I'm not going to be forgiven anyway. Um, my specific sins, thinking that there was probably a God, but I didn't give a crud about it. No way he's going to forgive me for that. So, eh. Why go? But people you know, people we all know, who once believed and no longer do, that would mean if they committed this sin, they cannot be saved. Simply not true. And in verse 34, we find a little bit of support of this. Jesus calls them a brood of vipers. A brood of vipers. This shows um, who else called the Pharisees a brood of vipers? John the Baptist. Pharisees haven't changed. They haven't gone from Christian to non-Christian to Christian to non-Christian. Even before the baptism of Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees were still that brood of vipers. And also, Jesus is not addressing Christians who might commit the unforgivable sin and fall away from the faith. That would actually be overreading what's going on here. It would be applying our own reason and, and our own anxieties and our own worry, worries to it. To assume what this sin might be ignores what's going on in the text itself. And I'm going to break it down for you in a couple parts. Um, Verse 31 and 32 do not stand alone. It's often taken alone. But considering everything that's gotten us to this point, and considering what's coming, um, they don't stand alone outside the book of Matthew. Forgiveness for all, forgiveness for all, forgiveness for all. Oh, except for this. Forgiveness for all, forgiveness for all, forgiveness for all. That's not what this is. That is not what this is. Paying attention to the, the, the structure and the understanding of, of the text as a whole guides us to a surprisingly simple understanding of what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. 
Jesus is pretty good at preaching, right? He's pretty good at making a point. Kind of like Paul. He's kind of like a lawyer. He's got good rhetorical stuff. He's got good, like, stuff to, you know, there's a reason why Abraham Lincoln quote, quotes Jesus. He does something here. It's called a hyperbole. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. All of them. All are forgiven. Nothing's changed. But it does not say except. It just says, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. So, we already know that those who do not want forgiveness will not obtain it. Even though it's available, those who do not want forgiveness in Christ will not obtain it. Even though it's, it's God in Christ is willing and ready to forgive any person and all sins. In this first part of this hyperbole clause, Jesus basically says, forgiveness is wide open. Forgiveness is for all. This sets up, and this is what a hyperbole does, it sets up the severity of part two. Even though all are forgiven, the unforgivable sin involves speech. It involves words. That's what this whole part, that's what this is, has been about so far. So far also, the Pharisees have, uh, they've spoken their evaluation of Jesus' ministry of exorcism. They've asserted he's working with Satan and not with God. So the words, the blasphemy, the words of the Pharisees make their hearts plain. They are against Jesus. To be against Jesus is to blaspheme the Spirit. I will put my spirit upon him. To be against Jesus is to blaspheme the spirit. Even better. I gotta jump so To be against Jesus is to be against the spirit. And to be against Jesus is to be against we know this already the meaning of that verse 1231 God in Christ is ready to forgive one and all those who, have, who however by their speech set themselves against and reject the one triune God will not be forgiven. What's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of blasphemy? We say it every Sunday. Confession. The Nicene Creed. The, Apo the uh, Apostles' Creed. Confession quite literally means to say the same as Scripture. Blasphemy is to say the opposite of Scripture. It, this is speech. Again, this is all speech. 
to say the same as, to confess, to creed, to say the same as God's word. This sets up the next verse. So we have the hyperbole, which is split here. It's got the all-inclusiveness, every single sin, and the severity of this one. This is not an except. This is not, a, not an except. So, verse 32 is a parallel to verse 31. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. What did God put upon the servant in Isaiah? The Spirit. The Spirit is upon Jesus. Um, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So we know the Trinity. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven ever. Ever. Now, in this parallel, it's, it's saying the same thing in a stronger way. And then in this hyperbole, an all-inclusive, except for blaspheming against the Spirit, first, Christ is ready to forgive any misunderstanding or insult about himself. That's plain and clear. Um, Jesus never did anything for me. That would be speaking a word against the Son of Man. That, of course, forgiven. Part two, those who speak, those who speak against God's word will not be forgiven. What, called, what calls us to faith? Well, we know it's God's word. What is God's word? It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit calls us to faith through his words. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So if you speak against God's word, I'm going to give you an example of a hyperbole first. I got a $100 bill available to give to everyone here. All are invited. except to the one who denies that statement. Because if you say, nah, you don't have a $100 bill for me. Nah, you don't have forgiveness for me, Jesus. If you don't believe in forgiveness, you're not going to get it. So what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Not believing the word of God to, be, to repent and be forgiven. All you got to do is believe it. All you got to do is believe it. This will come out in the next verses. Are we, oh, I think I can get through a little bit of this. I'm, I'm too fired up about it. The inner condition of the tree matters. Starting in verse 33, uh, whoever would like to read 33 through 37.
still in the same section, still talking, still in response to the crowd's response to the exorcism, and still in response to the Pharisees' words of response to the exorcism. And we'll see that he's talking about this tree being the inner condition. And the fruit, everything's been about speech. Everything's been about the response. Everything's been about the, the fruit good or the fruit bad at this point. And the inner condition is known by its fruit. The inner condition of the heart is known by the words it speaks. Now, really quick with this brood of vipers. I gotta stop drawing lines. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit by keeping with repentance. Bear fruit by keeping with repentance. By not rejecting Team Captain Jesus from picking you. It's kind of kitschy. I don't know if I like that comparison, but it worked. Um, there we go. Back to the fruit. Keeping with repentance of the heart is the inner tree. The, the condition of the inner tree produces something in abundance, whether it be good or bad words. Um, is it in accordance with the Holy Spirit? Or is it not? In accordance with the Holy Spirit? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Or not in accordance with the Holy Spirit, is it blasphemy? It's not. It's, it's blasphemy. A good person speaks in accordance. Out of his good treasure brings forth good. But an evil person who speaks, speaks against the Holy Spirit has an unrepentant heart. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. An unrepentant heart is unforgivable. An unrepentant heart is unforgivable. I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. So a person who is not a believer and has spoken against the Holy Spirit, they can't be converted, they can't be saved. That's what this seems to say. Is there anything that says, uh, will not be forgiven now and will not be forgiven later? Will not be forgiven in this generation, back then, or in this generation now? That's not to say once you've done it, you can't be forgiven in the next stage. It's to say no matter what age it is, we could take a look at that actually. You have to bear with me. In the now of the ages, nor in the many to come. 
Whoever speaks against the holy, I'm looking for a separator. Because we have commons in English, but there's sometimes a separator. Whoever speaks against uh, the spirit, the holy one, will not be forgiven. To them, neither in these ages, the ages now, that's noon is now, nor in the ages later. So, so yeah, it's, I'll show you, it's, it's better to look at it like this. So whoever speaks against the Holy Scripture will not be forgiven. Whether they speak against the Holy Spirit now, or whether they speak against the Holy Spirit later. This rule isn't going to change. It's the same for me now as it would have been for me 2,000 years ago. I don't repent and I don't believe in forgiveness, so I will not be forgiven. It's the same as it was 2,000 years ago, same as it was 100 years ago. Uh, that rule is set, is set in stone. I know we only have the we need some sort of paraphrase in there for that. Um, these little, the reason I pulled this up, the little endings of the words. Um, for example, this is spirit that's holy, the spirit, the holy one. Um, that OS and that OU tell me that they belong together in one phrase. And that's what, I won't get into all the other Greek stuff. But. This rule stands true no matter when. You know, I can understand that it holds true now, but the age to come, I was, I was taken out as when Jesus comes. That's the age to come. This is, uh, let's see, in the now ages, nor in, in the many of the more. Melanie is kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's what. This is just how it's, yeah. English is frustrating. <laughs> so is Greek. What's that? Okay, now, I have a question. Sure. I have a nephew that was raised in the church. Uh-huh. Went off to college. Now, he is a professor that teaches believe it or not, the Bible, but he says that it that God can't be true, that he can't be the one that created all this nonsense. So if he is saying that and teaching that, does that mean he cannot be forgiven if he decides that he was wrong in his teachings, he changes his life, can he, uh, can he be forgiven? For absolutely, absolutely. Think of the converse, think of the flip. You're a Christian all your life, Doctor tells you you got a day to live. Man, that God is mean. I don't know why he's doing this to me. I've been a good Christian all my life. You know what? Blankety blank you, God. I don't believe anymore. I don't want your forgiveness. I'll just, whatever. The opposite's true. At the time, you know, when you take that last breath on earth, when I, when I met with Penny on Monday, Sunday, Saturday, Saturday, the first day she was in the hospital, before she passed on Monday. All my days run together. I did a, a rite called the Commendation of the Dying. I had no idea what her faith station was. Her faith could have been like that. I, who knows? The words could have been lies. Who knows? 
You don't know. I don't know their heart. But what I did in that, that commendation of dying fills her with the word of God. Stuff that she recognizes. The reading of John 3.16 through 20. The Apostles' Creed. Confession and absolution. Do I know it's, that she really confessed in her heart? No. But when it came to that, you know, it's go time if you're actually blessed to know when your last few minutes on earth are, because that's not always possible, obviously. Um, I don't know what's in her heart, and I've never seen or heard her words before that might be a, a, a sign of the faith. Nor who knows, but that's the reason why basically filled her up with the word of God. Hope that it rang in her ears. Um, she hadn't heard like the, I, I don't think she's heard the Lord's Prayer or, or the Apostles' Creed in probably 40 years, but she was moving her mouth to it behind the oxygen mask. So, um, if she's not forgiven at that moment, and I speak the words of absolution, and she's repenting in her heart, if she's not forgiven, there's no hope at all. Same for son, son-in-law? Nephew. Nephew, sorry. But uh, it doesn't seem to answer the question. You know, if it's saying you can't be forgiven if you speak. Of course, this verse 24. It's not that you're not forgiven for eternity. Verse, 20, verse 24, let me go back. So every, every Pharisee that rejected him at this moment in time, if they die 20 years later, they're going to hell. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that. Well, I, I, I know what you mean. I don't see how you, how, I still not heard it explain how that doesn't apply when it says you can't be forgiven in this age, which would be the time you're living in, or the age to come, which seems to be No, you're, you're taken forgiven by itself. Sin, repentance, sin and forgiveness, failure to repent at any given time, at now or 100 years from now, failure to repent means failure to be forgiven, whether it be now or whether it be later. It's, it's a, I'm trying to explain a separate clause. I'm even trying to think of a... Let me go back to the original verses. Um... So, just for a second, take this one out of the equation. What is blasphemy against the Spirit? It's rejecting Jesus, rejecting forgiveness, rejecting the justice to victory, rejecting the servant proclaimed by Isaiah. So then, if you reject the words of Christ, then you're not going to repent. First words of John the Baptist and Christ are, well, the first, first sermons, repent and be forgiven. Um, so he, just, this by, just that by itself is a rule. Call it a rule. Uh, uh, I'm trying to make a sports comparison. But it's a rule, whether it be in this game or the next. 
But breaking a rule in the previous game doesn't penalize you in this game. That's I don't know. No, then you're not forgiven at that point of death. It's not a never. It's not a, it's not, it's not do this once. He's not saying the Pharisees are not forgiven. It's not blaspheme once and you'll not be forgiven forever. It's do not repent. Do not repent which is against the Holy Spirit. It's against the Word of God. Do not repent and you will not be forgiven. And that rule stands at any given moment of time for generations to come. E I, I think it's eons was a... Yeah, it's kind of a generational word. Does that make sense? The sin of yesterday, let's say I sinned at noon, I'm forgiven at five. Does that mean it's not, and then today I reject it. I'm still forgiven, but for that, that's not a good way to put it either. It's a rule. It's an eternal rule. That's really the best way I can put that. If you reject, if you reject, so in another way, if you rejected a baptism, Baptism is exorcism. Going back to the exorcism. If you reject what's told to you that when a baby is baptized, that Satan is killed. If you reject that, um, then you don't believe in forgiveness for yourself. The same way goes with forgiveness across the board. If you can't forgive your brother who sinned against you, don't you dare approach the altar for your forgiveness. Um, blaspheming, blaspheming against the Spirit is just not believing God's Word in its simplest form. Here, he's talking about repentance because of what we hear about the tree and its fruit. If I say from my heart, I don't believe, I don't believe I'm forgiven, then I'm not. And five minutes from now, I say, you know what? I was wrong. I hear more of God's word now. God, the Holy Spirit came to me. Now I do repent. And now I am forgiven. But later on, if I switch back again, then I'm not forgiven. Um, which is also why I bring up that last blessed, that, that last moment. When we pray for a blessed ending for someone, we pray that they are have faith in Jesus Christ at that last moment. You know, and that can wiggle back and forth between belief and unbelief if I'm not hearing the word of God. I'm starting to ramble. I'm probably not answering your question anymore, but the rule stands then. Don't repent, don't be forgiven. And the rule stands not into the ages. Don't repent and don't be forgiven. The rule stands then. I don't believe what happened in that baptism, what God tells me. And the, the rule stands now. I don't believe what happened in that exorcism or baptism. 
from what God tells me. So I'm not included. I'm not on the team. I'm not on uh, whoever's with Jesus. Um, whoever is against, how do I, I'm losing my own words now. Uh, whoever's not with Jesus is against Jesus. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Um, let me wrap up this. Wrap up this. I know. Oh boy, I'm keeping you late. Keeping you late. Sorry, you have off the next two Wednesdays. If you need to go, if you have something to get to, by all means. I want to finish up on this fruit, uh, on this fruit part. So, what's that? No, no, this is good. This is good. I love this. I, I think I spent four hours on this the other day, reading all sorts of different. Like, really? I just, it, it took me a while to, it took me a while to, to understand. It's not just like this. Because there's also a big history from the Catholic Church of the severity of sins. So we might think there's this one utmost severe one that just will never be forgiven. And that's, that's not true. If you don't believe you're going to be forgiven, that's blasphemy against the Spirit. You're not going to be forgiven. you got to believe. Yeah. So what, so what drives you to your knees? What drives you to repentance? The word of God. The law. The word drives you to your knees, but you reject that law. Um, I'm not a sinner. I didn't sin today. And you reject that law, you're not going to repent. Um, and people do that. They do, do, unrepent. Not, people will hear the law of God and not repent. And the law of God is, I lost the verse, the Spirit. Um, you're rejecting the word. Now, now it, it, this brings up another point. If you worry about it, I worry that I'm not repentant enough. I worry that, well, in some mistakes, I need to do something about it. You ever seen some of the uh, Catholics in the medieval ages would put um, all sorts of spikes into their skin and would cause themselves fleshly, plain, fleshly pain to remind themselves of their oncoming death to help them repent a little bit harder. And we worry sometimes, is, does, does the law of God, is it driving me to true repentance? I'll tell you this. Just take that worry, that anxiety of worrying about repenting. That tells me that is repentance. What made you worry? 
the Word of God. If you're not worried about it, if you're not worried about how you need to repent, if you're not worried about how you need to truly say sorry from the body or heart, then I worry. Because what gives what 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 the, what the law does to you is it hammers you. There's the hammer of the law. There's the mirror of the law that shows you your sin, and that's what that's why you're worried because you want forgiveness. You want to, you know why do you want to repent so badly? Because you want to be forgiven. Why do you want to be forgiven so bad? Because you believe it. You believe it. So you're worried. I want that forgiveness. It's already been done. Your worry worry tells me that the word of God has had its way with you. Um, If you were to not worry because you don't think you need forgiveness and you don't think you need to repent any harder, or you don't think you need to constantly look at the inner condition of your tree, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Maybe you're not hearing that you are a sinner day in and day out. That's law and gospel in a nutshell. Does that help? I can go into sermon mode at any given time. Yeah. So in my mind, when I see that, then if I have spoken out against Jesus, then I can be forgiven if I ask for forgiveness. Right. Yeah. In my heart. There's a reason you're asking for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And everything you just said is not rejecting the Holy Spirit. Correct. Yeah. But if at some point in my life I was to have rejected the Holy Spirit or spoke out against the Holy Spirit, like I see a lot of people doing on Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> and at some point in my life, 10 years down the road, I'm facing death and I want to be forgiven for my sins. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Without a doubt in my mind. Okay. So then why does it say that I will either in this age or in the age to come? Speaking against the Holy Spirit. Ongoing rejection. If you continue to reject it? What's that? Yeah, and that rule, you know, if it, was, if it started yesterday and it's still going today, I will not be forgiven. The ongoing is this. Ongoing rejection. Um, and 36 and 37 tells us a little bit about that. I tell you on the day of judgment... This is the later. This is the age to come, too. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. All right. 
Now what? Who already gave an account of every careless word? For those who have their sins forgiven. Christ gave that account. Put the punishment on me, Father. The unforgivable sin is the, it's the ongoing rejection of Jesus Christ. When you, rejected, when you reject Jesus Christ, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's a rejection that produces speech, produces words, produces the words of the Pharisees, for sure, that deny Christ and his word. Um, this is a much larger teaching than just a specific unforgivable sin. It's not a specific sin. It's, uh, there's no specificity in this act other than the exorcism, and by how Christ uses his power, that's what's in question. Um, so if a person you know that even openly rejects Jesus, whether they used to be a disciple of Christ or not, if that person falls away or never came, never came to faith, can be fully restored to faith, and discipleship again. If not, what's that? that. Well, yeah, yeah, it's kind of, you know, what's, what, what faith upon the heart is written. And that's still, and it's still difficult. It's still difficult to say, well, this person never went to church, never talked about God, never talked about any of that stuff, and died. I still can't say he went to hell. Same's true for the opposite. I can't say I can say with comfort what that faith is doing for that person. Like in a funeral sermon. That's where it gets kind of, you know, it gets a little touchy. But you could say the same about any of us in that last moment of breath. We could be praying together at that very moment. But what's, it, what's the condition of the inner tree? Um, so that's why, that's why we go to church. It's yeah. We get filled with the words. That's the same thing as like, like a person not aware of why I think this is about her, she said. That when that person is killed, because they said he's a uh, person stands up, you oh, hire a killer. Just say that's what he is. All of a sudden, all his life, it's all he's done is kill people. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, right there at last, he's laying there and he's dying and he knows it. But as he confesses that he wants, you know, that I believe in Christ now, I understand what you're saying, what you said. And if it's true, but the words are true from the heart. You have to have that faith inside of you. Mm -hmm. And if he does, and he really believes it. Right. A lot of people say, well, but how can he do it? Because he's done all that. No. If he hasn't done it, then he says, okay, I do believe. He will right. be saved. If there was a specific sin that, it, that was committed In between everybody, we don't know. years ago, whether it be murder, whether it be denial of God, I, I used to deny, deny God, I used to deny any involvement in him in my life, then this church would be empty. <laughs> Every church, there wouldn't be church. And nobody's forgiven. Because we all doubt, we, you know, there's, there's times lots of people fall away. 
Um, how do we know this is true, what you're saying? Who's the best example of it? Somebody who openly sinned. Three times, Peter. Then Jesus rises from the tomb and says, tell the disciples and tell Peter. Peter needs to know. Then the first words of Christ, peace will be with you. Forgiveness is not minimized in this reading today. Um, Christ says, by your words will be justified, by your words will be condemned. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Um, yeah, and that brings up a whole different ball game too. I can say stuff with my mouth, but do I really believe it? Um, Christ ties that together with the heart, obviously. It's all about the response to Jesus Christ and his authoritative ministry and the growing opposition he's now facing. And that opposition certainly includes words. Um, and he makes the, he, and remember, he still makes a very strong point. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Basically, if you don't believe what I said, if you don't believe I'm giving you a hundred bucks, I won't give you a hundred bucks now. hundred bucks more for me. Uh, not that, you know. Whoever speaks against what I told you will, for, will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against my actual statement of what I said will not get the hundred bucks. Whether you deny that statement now or a hundred years from now. I'm trying to sermonize in my head, but I've kept you guys very long today. Anything else, though? It, I, I knew this would go long. I was utterly fascinated by this. I think I should have worded it a little bit, and it would be confusing. Yes. <laughs> because they say, will not be forgiven. That's just hard to swallow. Yeah, I mean, I had to look up what a hyperbole was. You know, because I was reading a couple different Lutheran commentators, and like, Hyperbole. What's that? And then I had to compare it to the Greek, and yeah, I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's uh, to start with, I can't, I can't understand how anybody could really fall away. It's amazing. Because I don't want to say blind faith, but um, yeah, yeah. There's a certain part of invisibleness. Right. I find it hard to believe that people can't believe just looking at the past 2,000 years of history. This guy, Jesus Christ, was born, and we learn about him in Scripture, but just, just being born. All right, we count every single year around the world for the past two millennium based on the birth of Jesus Christ, by the birth of a guy. Something's going on here. Just, and that's just from the outside looking in. That's looking not even at Scripture. We count our years. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. It's not after death. I used to think it was after death. It's Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Um, 
And now they call it scholars and colleges have renamed it to CE, Common Era. They took the Jesus out of our year counting, but it's still counted back to Jesus. So really the only unforgiven sin is the ongoing denial. The only unforgiven sin is not believing you're forgiven. Yeah. And perhaps, I, 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 I will try to figure out the next time this might come on a way to explain it better. Yeah, so, because the Spirit, uh, where is that? The Holy Spirit is with the Son of Man. We heard that in the servant intro. But the Holy Spirit is attached. It is the words that he speaks. You are forgiven. Um, don't believe it, you won't get it. Either, in the, either now or later. This isn't going to change later on. This rule isn't going to change later on. Anybody hungry yet? Steak. Steak. All right. If there's nothing, anything else? I'll leave it open. Uh, but this was eye-opening for me, though. Personally, it actually built my faith. It really did. It really did. Considering... Uh, this is something that comes up every so often, and every so often it comes up, and I'm like, oh, we'll look at it later. <laughs> look at it later. I don't want to think about it. But digging in, um, very valuable. Very valuable. Um, all right, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.